Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of You Can't Handle the Truth. Today's episode we are talking about Babylon but we're going to do it spoiler style. So I'm going to start this review by saying I've now watched Babylon three times and I recorded this spoiler review after the first time watching but I need to update some things so even though I should probably add this at the end I'm going to say right at the very start because that third watch for me kind of opened everything up and really made me understand this movie on such a deep and emotional level and I think like genuinely when I was watching it I was thinking several times this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen now I may be just saying that because I'm a film student but I genuinely think the performative nature of this movie it's just astonishing the opening is ridiculous but it's remarkable the ending is audacious but it is sensational and if you can understand it like if you can click with this movie you will have one of the most transcending experiences you could have while watching a film or doing anything for that matter you go into the astral plane during this film if you latch on to what it is trying to suggest at the end and I, I just couldn't believe it like I genuinely could not believe it and I want to give a shout out as well because I don't think I mentioned her too much in this review Jean Smart right she plays a great supporting role in this film and one conversation that she has with Brad Pitt, it just absolutely clicked in that third watch. When she is talking to him about his career being done and how she's a cockroach, so she'll live on. Whenever there's a house fire, the people burn. So let's say Hollywood's burning, the actors will die, the cockroaches, aka the critics, they'll survive because they're just watching from the shadows. And her little monologue that she gives to him is just insane it is insanely good i should have written it down but i'm going to try and sum up what she says this ain't going to be verbatim but she says something along the lines of in a hundred years time when we're both long gone every single time somebody threads a frame of yours through a sprocket you'll be alive again you've got to understand like movie making and being an actor doing anything that is going to last is insanely scary because you don't know when it is all just going to end you know sadly because all careers end at some point but the fact that he will live on, right, actors will live on because we're watching a film set 100 years in the past and even though these are actors that are all still with us, it still feels like they're playing actors in the movie who have long gone and still they are getting the chance to live again because we are watching them. And she goes on to say that one day every person working on every film will be dead but when they pull the films from the vaults they will all dine together, dance together, go on a journey together because that is what movies are. The people in them sadly pass on, but the movies stay the same. And we can just watch them again and again and again. It's magical. That is magical. And that's pretty much what happens at the end of this film. Because when everything goes sporadic and crazy with the editing, it's the fact that everybody is just coming together and the splodges of colour being so prominent because that is all that movies are. And when you look really closely at an old TV, you will see those primary colours. You'll see the green, the blue, the red, the yellow. And so the fact that this film has, the fact that Damien Chazelle for this film has had the audacity to do that. And yeah, people are going to, like my dad, he was thinking, I don't really know about the colours at the end of that, but it was good. But for me, I think that's sensational because that is the film student in me. And, you know, sue me, but I love this film. And the final thing she says is one day a child born 50 years from now will watch one of your films and feel as though they know you and that is so true because the amount of things I've watched where I feel like I know the characters that is the beauty of filmmaking right whatever medium it is that is the beauty of it you feel as though you know the characters you know the people 
maybe it's a little bit worrying because you know you need actual friends instead of just movie friends but still the point still stands it's amazing and then she says the very last thing she says though you breathed your last before he breathed his first just come on how did this film not get a writing nomination at the oscars because that script is so amazing oh my goodness it is it's just it's an amazing movie i will take it to my grave when people finally come around to this film i'll be laughing because they're hating it now everybody's hating it and judging it and thinking it's rubbish and word of mouth is not good but let me tell you the words from my mouth babylon is a sensational movie and you need to watch it in the cinema so goodness gracious me babylon this is amazing I, I loved it so that scene really opened my eyes towards the end in particular when toby Maguire's scene happens right before that for about the last half an hour an hour or so there are so many references and teases as to this guy jim mckay but i didn't notice it the first time round. i was just kind of letting it go over my head but there's a mention of him by flea saying that he's a he's a casino owner or something and he's not somebody to mess with and then later on when nelly says that she's got a gambling problem and then later on after that when somebody says look at this prop money all of this comes back in that third act tremendously well and the finale itself when you've got jack walking off into his room and killing himself which is tragic you've got nelly walking off into the distance and you never see her again those actors are leaving the screen right they're wandering into black nelly quite literally she is exiting the screen and we don't see her die, but we know that she does because of the news report after. However, that ending for a movie star is so perfect and bittersweet. I think it's I think it's tremendous. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And the fact that those two parallel each other really strongly, that's the acting life. Whereas Manny, he is almost like a cockroach because he ends up watching. He ends up being in the shadows. He's in the dark, in the cinema, watching. And he's the only one that survives. So that just goes to show... If you want to make it, don't be an actor, just watch. Just be a critic like me, or a producer, or a writer, or an editor, or anything that doesn't involve you being in the spotlight directly. But yeah, it's a transcendental experience watching this film, and I love it. I love it so, so much. The music, the cinematography, the set design, every single thing is just spot on. Damien Chazelle, take a bow, son, take a bow, because everything he does is just magical. It's absolutely magical, and there are so many darker teases as to the outcome of this film as well, especially with Nelly. So when she's in the cab talking with Manny about how she just wants to leave on her own terms, that's exactly what she does at the end. But that scene felt completely irrelevant at the time. But then when you look back at it afterwards, you're thinking, oh my god, that's genius. She can cry on command. When Manny proposes to her, she's crying. How do we know that those are genuine tears when we've seen her in her performances earlier cry on command? But Manny doesn't know this. Which is why it makes it even sadder and even more bittersweet. Yeah, Babylon. Here we go. Let's get on with the review because I realise this ain't even the proper review. I'm going to get into it now. I'm going to leave you to it. Hope you enjoy. Let's talk about Babylon in great detail. This is the spoiler review. I should have mentioned that before. Let's get on with it. Take it away. Kieran from the past. I'm going to get right into it. This film is crazy. And one thing to sum it up would be at one point in this film... Brad Pitt's character is confused as to why everybody keeps consoling him and giving him their best wishes, and he's really confused, so he just stands up and he just says, well, somebody please tell me what the f*** is going on. That's pretty much how I felt about this entire film. What, what the f*** is going on? It, it's chaos, it's madness, but 
it's kind of ingenious and fantastic and intoxicating and terrifying but amazing so Babylon spoiler review let's get into it so finally here in the UK Babylon has been released whereas over in the states and Canada I believe it came out just before Christmas so I was a little bit annoyed because the same thing happened with La La Land all right when Damien Trizel's 2016-17 movie came out everybody was hyped over it and I had to wait until January to watch it Fair enough, I wasn't actually that excited for it, so I didn't really care about the wait, but this time round, I'm a huge fan of Chazelle as a director, and I was very excited to see this film, because it is dividing people. There are a lot of mixed opinions about this film, whether it's a love letter to Hollywood or a hate letter. I think it's a bit of both. I think the best way I could probably describe it would be a love letter to cinema as a medium, but a suicide note to Hollywood itself because of the way that it it operates and the way that uh, it has been operating since the 1920s or thereabouts, which is kind of ironic because we have gone to the movies to watch a movie saying how bad movie making is, but they've still made this film, so it can't be that bad. So it's really interesting, and the thing that I want to get to straight away the spoiler content, the end of the film. The film itself focuses on three or four main characters and then everybody else is a supporting role. But then again, they're all kind of supporting each other, so it's a nice ensemble. But at the centre of it, you've got Diego Calva, who I don't know if this is his first film, but he's terrific as Manny in this film, who at the start of the movie, he is just a sort of party organiser, somebody brought in to help cater to anybody's needs. And across the course of the three hours, because long movie, right, very, very long movie, but spanning from 1926, I think, to about the middle of the 1930s, with an epilogue set in the 50s. Across that time, Manny starts to work on film sets, he rises in the ranks, and he ends up becoming a studio executive for MGM, is it? It's MGM or it's Kinescope, because he leaves one to go to the other. But either way, his trajectory is pretty interesting, and... By the end of the film, he has to leave LA because he's about to be killed. So it really just sort of goes at one pace for about, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half of this movie. After the first half an hour, leading up until maybe the two hour mark, then it starts to get a bit insane again. And it's a very, very strange third act. It's a very weird one, but the epilogue is sensational. And I will get onto that, but... You've got Manny, you've got Margot Robbie, who plays Nellie Leroy. She is an up-and-coming actor, very similar to Mia in La La Land, so a lot of similarities, which again, I will also get onto that. But I think Margot Robbie is absolutely incredible in this film. And then you've also got Brad Pitt, who is equally very, very good. He's playing an aging star, so across the years, he goes from one of the leading men in Hollywood to basically a washed-out husband. And it's quite depressing. Like It's a very, very dark end for his story and predictable once you reach that ending scene but I think his performance is really quite something and it's almost poignant that we've had Tom Cruise kind of confront his aging in Top Gun Maverick and is this how Brad Pitt is confronting his aging because it feels it feels like a deeply personal film for him which I think just sells it even more and even greater so for me I had an amazing time with it Yes, some of it doesn't work. The opening is very obscene and very, very chaotic and messy. And the whole film is, sure, but it's just the opening 
it's a strange in-your-face opening for a three-hour-long film. Like, if this was a 90-minute movie, I can understand why they would have a breakneck pace to introduce elephants all over Manny, a woman peeing on somebody for fun and for, like, I don't know, tortured things. Weird. Okay, very weird opening. So many drugs, so many naked people. There's a dwarf riding a pogo stick that's shaped like a todger. What the hell is this film? Like, what is this opening? What is this film? It is just pure mayhem right from the start. But then it sort of, it tones it down a little bit as the film goes on, but still has sprinkles here and there, absolutely. But I think it does a good job of actually making us care about the, the film environments and these characters who want to rise the ranks. So, and also the fact that you've got different trajectories happening. You've got one being an actor rising You've got one being an actor falling, you've got a producer going up the ranks, and then you've also got the fourth main character, I would say, is Sidney Palmer, who is a trumpet player, and he goes from just playing these parties all the way to starring in his own short films. And there's one scene that he's involved in, which is one of the most chilling, but really, really well done scenes I've witnessed in a film in a very long time. Like, it's heartbreaking and it's harrowing stuff what he's made to do. And I don't know why I'm treading on eggshells to talk about this, because it is the spoiler review. I can talk about it. But then again, it's also heavily racialized. So I don't want to overstep myself, but it's it's tragic because he's a black musician. And at one point, all the other artists in his film at the time have darker skin. And so the studio worried that on camera, due to the lighting he's going to appear white. So they do the unthinkable and Manny himself is the one to do it because it had it had to be him, right? It was just so shocking, but really important that he was the one to ask this. But he gives him a tub of charcoal and he wants him to, he wants him to darken up, which is shocking. And that's what they did. That's exactly what happened back in the 1920s. And even not more recently, I'd say, but it was still happening more recently than it should have, but I think that scene when he's playing the trumpet and it's just held on his face and he's had to do something that he doesn't want to do. It's embarrassing for him and it's shocking, but the way that Damien Chazelle manages to direct scenes like this is sensational. Like He's an amazing director and he knows, yes, he can go crazy sometimes, but also he has the ability to make something really important and stand out because that for me is one of the most pivotal scenes in the film and in any film that I've seen for a very long time. This film itself though, Babylon is such a weird trip. It is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Yes, you could say very reminiscent of things like The Great Gatsby and also La La Land to an extent. So think of a roided up version of The Great Gatsby meets Singing in the Rain and La La Land. And then you've got Babylon, but even then, that's just scratching the surface. So, yeah, Babylon is a wild ride, and I can safely say, by the end of it, like the specific ending in this movie is so powerful. It's so jarringly amazing, but also ambitious and bold and a huge swing. The things he manages to pull off, I don't know if he manages to pull off everything, but he does pull off the ending, in my opinion, and that, for me cements it as being one of the most insane atmospheric experiences that I've had at the cinema in in years. Okay, aside from Avatar and Top Gun Maverick, because 
those two are massive popcorn-pleasing blockbusters, okay? That's fine. That's understandable why they are amazing, and I'm not saying this is better than those, but the experience and the feeling that I had from watching this film, from the score to the cinematography to the editing to the performances and the directing, everything just seemed to be harmonious in declaring it one of the craziest experiences you could possibly have. So I really think you should go and watch Babylon in the cinema because you are not going to get an experience like this for a very long time. Dare I say ever again, because even though we've had love letters to cinema, I mean, even recently, The Fablemans and Empire of Light, but also something like, I mean, something like La La Land, but also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that for me is, you know, that's still a better film. And I love that. It's one of my favorite films of all time. But the way that that handles films and filmmaking, yes, it's set in the 60s. So obviously things have calmed down a little bit <laughs> since the 20s, but the way that it's introducing the talkies, because this is set around the time when talkies first started to appear. So with the jazz singer and Hollywood not knowing if talkies were going to take off. So at one point, Manny is sent to go to the premiere of the jazz singer to see what is all the fuss about and will talkies be a success? Yes, is the answer to that. Absolutely. Because nowadays, I mean, <laughs> I can't remember the last silent film that I watched. Maybe The Artist back in 2012. So surprisingly, talking pictures really took off. I know, who'd have thought that? But this film does an effective job of being quite satirical at times with one scene in particular when it's either Manny or it's Jack, who Brad Pitt plays, and they're having a conversation with a studio head in the bathroom. And at one point, the studio head says, why would people want to hear what's in the movie? And right on cue, somebody is shitting in the stall. And it's the most disgusting sound you've ever heard. But that's funny. Like this film, I should have said this at the start. It's a comedy. It's really funny. I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was. Yeah, Damien Chazelle, he has the ability to make things funnier than they probably should be. I think La La Land is a nice example because it's, you know, it's a musical and it's a drama, but... There is also that comedy element to it as well. But this film, they really showcase a wide range of comedy from sight gags to the sound gags as well, to a bit of slapstick too. It's a weird, it's a weird film. I'm not going to lie. It's a very, very strange film, but let me get to it. The ending. It ends with Manny going back to LA because he was about to be killed and they let him go. They said, never come back to LA, like just leave. And so that was in the, I think, the early 1930s, and he doesn't return until about 1950, I can't remember what the timestamp was, 52 or 56, I've got in my head. And this scene, very, very reminiscent of the epilogue to La La Land. Okay, so when five years later happens in La La Land, spoiler alert, there's a shot of the set decoration being moved, and then Emma Stone steps out in front of it. And this time round, it's a bus leaving and Manny steps out in front of it and he's back on set. So, so similar, right? Very, very similar films. But the ending itself, he's in LA, he's working in New York now, but he's brought his family to visit LA for the first time. And he speaks to the security guard on the film set for Kinescope. And, you know, he says about how he used to work here and so on. And then he, he leaves his family. And at this point, I'm not going to lie, I got a bad feeling. I thought he was going to be killed. I genuinely thought he's left his family for the final time. He's about to be killed because he's come back to LA. But luckily, he's fine. He just goes to the cinema and he goes to watch Singing in the Rain. I think it was anyway. And 
it's so it's so insane like it is so insane how at that point in time your eyes are just opened to how so much of this film has been influenced by singing in the rain but also we are made to believe that singing in the rain was influenced by what's happened within this film so it's sort of an inception level twist in the sense that he's watching a film based on his own experiences on the film sets but we're watching a film of him watching a film based on the film that we're watching if you follow my drift so yeah it's crazy and it's baffling but as he's having this moment when he's he's missing Nelly because he was going to run away to Mexico with Nelly she ended up leaving him and she died shortly after tragically i'm not sure i'm a fan of the way that that arc was wrapped up because she dis well I mean, then again, it is quite beautiful because she exits the screen, okay? She goes into the fog in the middle of the night, and that's the last we see of her. So, fair enough, that's kind of a beautiful ending because it could be up for interpretation whether she died minutes after or days after or weeks after, however long after, but we are told through a news report that she died. And so, at this point, Manny is thinking about her, and he was madly in love with her for the years that this film spans. And so he's sat in the cinema and he's watching Singing in the Rain. And there are so many similarities between the main characters in that film and himself and Nelly and even even Jack to an extent. So it's kind of bittersweet and he starts crying, which is really emotional. And it's a fantastic performance by Diego Calva to demonstrate this emotion and him just simply watching a film in the cinema. And the camera just starts moving all around the cinema and showcasing so many different faces and how things have changed. So it's completely different to the atmosphere it was back when he first started watching the talkies uh, to scout them out. And so we are watching a film show us people in an auditorium. It's, yeah, it's transcending cinema right there. And then it just starts going even crazier and just showcases a montage of cinema thereafter. So it goes through so many different things, from the George Melies productions to The Wizard of Oz to Jurassic Park, The Matrix, Terminator 2, and last but not least, Avatar. <laughs> Avatar is in this film. I'd seen memes about it, but I wasn't sure what the hell it could mean. I thought maybe somebody would like dress up as a Na'vi or whatever, but no, this film actually has footage from the first Avatar. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? So he's in the cinema, and that at that point, it just becomes a love letter to cinema itself and showcases exactly how times have changed. Yes, it's shown us one hell of an exploitive industry for the rest of the movie, but at this point in time, it is showing how things change so much. So through the technical aspects and then the visual effects and the CGI, culminating in Avatar was kind of perfect because you know, I dare say we've seen anything better since then aside from Avatar 2 but that's literally come out at the same time so I mean that again ironic in itself the fact that you've got two three hour long movies out right now both of them have avatars in it so what this film does to have that montage at the end takes such a huge swing with coming out of the film world for a second and showing us the film world itself which i i don't even know how to describe i don't know what to think about it it lost me a little bit when there just started to be splodges of color and i don't know if that is because of how the films are developed and the process behind it so maybe that is 
but it gets random and it gets weird and it gets sensationally crazy and the music is just building up and building up and then it stops trumpet plays again because Sidney Palmer plays the trumpet throughout so damn well and then Manny just starts smiling and the film ends and yeah it's such an eruptive ending it's absolutely incredible the music throughout this movie though Justin Hurwitz has done a fantastic job of writing the music a lot of it is very very similar to La La Land and I'm pretty sure there's one motif which is exactly the same as someone in the crowd from that film but I think the film itself has such a beautiful chemistry between what we're watching, what we're listening to, and it's so clever and ingenious and really poignant. The fact that it's only at the end, I mean, maybe if you're a huge fan of Singing in the Rain, you will notice the similarities much earlier on. But for me, I've only seen Singing in the Rain a couple of times. And so when I saw it being shown to Manny, and then I started putting together in my head how similar those scenes are that we've experienced before with Nelly and with the other characters. It was like opening my third eye. And again, like that experience while watching a film has not been seen for a very long time. So Babylon, it is a risk and it's very, very bold and ambitious. But for me, I think it's a huge triumph. I think it's a massive home run or at the very least, it's a three base hitter because I think there are some moments that could have been done a little bit better. The opening for one, but I think it's pretty much everything just before the title card because the title card doesn't show up until about 30 minutes in, which is crazy. I've not seen many people talk about that, but I loved that. But I do think the opening was arguably... <laughs> See, I could say it's the weakest part of the movie, but I know that some people are going to think it's probably the strongest and it's one of the craziest openings. And fair enough, it is. But I think it's just a little bit too crazy for my liking because... I'm starting to get a bit of a prude when it comes to movies and content within them. So seeing all the drug abuse and the sexual content, it didn't really engage me that much. And I was just kind of thinking, oh my God, like, oh my God, like this film is shocking. Like it really drills home shock factor. And there's so many people dying just on film sets. It's crazy. I don't know how much of it is actually true to life, like what could have happened, but it wouldn't surprise me because it was chaos, right? It was pure chaos. There was people being run over by cars. There was people being impaled by spikes during a costume piece. Everything that could have gone wrong goes wrong at several times in this film. There's somebody in a recording booth that dies because it's too hot in there. That scene, though, is absolutely amazing. When they're filming Nelly's very first talkie, and they have to do about eight different takes because something goes wrong every single time, whether it's the sound off, she's off of her mark, somebody sneezes. Everything that could go wrong, like I said, does go wrong. And that scene ends perfectly, so damn well, with them getting the shot, everything goes smoothly, knock on the door to the guy filming it to say, that's a wrap, cut, and he just falls out dead. So did they even get the shot? I really hope they didn't, because that, honestly, that comedic timing, even though it's tragic because somebody has died, that comedy is so, so good, and really what makes this film stand out for being just as funny as it is because I was not expecting it when it got nominated at the Golden Globes for best comedy I was thinking I thought it was a drama <laughs> I'm very very surprised but yeah I can fully see why I can absolutely understand why it's a comedy yeah some scenes go nowhere I think Tobey Maguire's scene is completely unhinged and very very strange that ends with them going into this weird 
underground dungeon area that is basically like a red light district, but ends up with them seeing a, a rock-like figure, like a massive bodybuilder, eat rats. It's horrible. But Toby Maguire himself is absolutely terrifying, but he is so good in this film. I, I just think it's a wild, insane fever dream to experience and to behold. And while not all of it works, it's hard to tell what does and what doesn't work, to be perfectly honest, because so much of it feels like it does. But then again, should it all right, should it actually work this well? Now, I don't think it is as good as La La Land for me personally, but that was always going to be the impossible task realistically. So yeah, it was never in any doubt that I was always going to love La La Land more. But Babylon is one of the most insane films I've ever witnessed. It's one of the most graphic, that's for sure. And the dancing is great. The music is great. The costumes are fantastic. The set decoration and design. Jean Smart as well. She is so, so good. Everybody gives really great performances. There's not a single bad performance in this film, which is incredible. And it's just really fun. It's a very, very fun film, but also a very depressing and a little bit of a slow burner at times too, when scenes seem to be going nowhere and then they get deep and then they get silly again and very chaotic. And, you know, there's several times when it just smash cuts to somebody opening a champagne bottle and pouring it everywhere. And it's crazy. It's a very, very, very party-heavy film, but yeah, I love that. I, I really, really enjoyed this film, but the sound design itself, you've got to watch this in the cinema. Not so much for the picture, even though it looks great, I couldn't help but notice some of the scenes felt a little bit overexposed, but I did notice that it seemed to be filmed on film itself, so I respect that. But I just think some scenes could have been lit a bit better, like the party scene at the start as well. I'm pretty sure they changed the contrast slightly because in the trailer it seems much lighter than it is in the film itself. So I wasn't a huge fan of what I was watching to begin with, but it was the sound. It was the sound design and the editing and how important a role sound plays in this film. It's almost like a character in itself because once the talkies start to come about, the film starts to use sound in such really clever ways that I, w I was loving it. I was really enjoying it. So yeah, if you want to go and watch a hate and love letter at the same time to films and Hollywood, go and watch Babylon because for three hours, yes, you could be going to watch Avatar and you would have a much better time with it for three hours, but I would strongly recommend giving Babylon a go because although it may not be for everybody and there are certain scenes that were not for me, I truly think by the end of it and during the filming scenes, the magic that it can capture, that is, that's Babylon right there. It felt like I was in Babylon for those three hours. So by the end of it, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit depressed to be leaving the cinema and to be coming back to reality because for so much of this film, they were talking about how people go to the cinema for escapism and it means something to people. And yeah, sure, it may not always be high art, but it's still art. And that, in a nutshell, is what this film is. It's trying to be high art for a lot of it, and it succeeds. But also, it has a tendency to be so vulgar and chaotic that it starts to go more lowbrow. So in that regard, it's a, it's a perfect blend. I will admit, it's a perfect blend of everything it's trying to be. Genuinely, the more I think about this film, the better it gets for me. And I, I just cannot get over that ending. It was such an insane ending to have to showcase so many different films that have come out as a result of the changing evolution of Hollywood itself and the way that films are made. Ingenious, chaotic, poignant, beautiful, 
messy, sloppy, that's crazy as well. It's it's a fever dream right there. So Babylon, what more is there to say aside from Brad Pitt kills himself, which is sad, but we knew it was going to happen. In that final scene that he has, you just know that's the end of it. And when the woman he's speaking to, when she walks out, that's very reminiscent of La La Land again. That's when, I don't want to spoil it, but that's when Mia walks out of the club right at the end. And she just gives that final look back sees Ryan Gosling, but in this case, she looks back, sees Brad Pitt, and you just, you know. But in La La Land, it had a little bit more of a positive spin on it. And in this, it wasn't trying to hide anything. So I don't think that would come as a shock to anybody by the end. But seeing Jack's career kind of just go down the drain, it's sad for Brad Pitt. And one scene that really stands out for me as well is when he goes to watch a screening of his own movie and he just walks in. It's his silhouette. It's like a film noir introduction. He walks in with a hat on and a big overcoat and he just comes into frame and he's watching all these people watching his film in the cinema and they're all laughing at him and then he just slowly backs away back into the shadows and at that point, that's when things really start to turn but up until then, he's so funny. Like he'll be drinking, waiting for filming to start for him. He's completely drunk. He manages to stumble up the hill and then as soon as they say action, He's amazing. So that that ability for Brad Pitt to have, but also for Margot Robbie to have, because she is equally doing the same, but in different ways. So she's crying on command. She's acting so, so well. She walks into a scene, looks as though she doesn't know her lines. And then as soon as action is yelled, bam, she just transforms into Nellie. And I'm pretty sure Eric Roberts, who plays her dad, he said recently in an interview, he believes that it's arguably one of the greatest performances he's ever seen somebody give. And I honestly can't blame him because even though I know she's probably going to get snubbed for an Oscar, but she deserves one. Like She is really good in this film. And if Emma Stone can win one for La La Land, I don't see why at least a nomination can't come Margot Robbie's way. Because, yeah, very, very similar roles, very, very similar paths in both films. But in La La Land's case, it's a more contemporary look but kind of delving into the history of Hollywood. And that's what I can't understand, because Damien Chazelle made La La Land to be so sweet and innocent and a real love letter to the musical era of Hollywood. And then he's also made the most chaotic hate letter to Hollywood. So how has he done this? They are two sides of the exact same coin, but it shouldn't work. Like, it should not work that this film has been made by the same guy who did La La Land but it does, it really does, and that is what is so breathtaking to me, because I actually feel like if it was anybody else, it wouldn't be as good, but because we know Damien Chazelle's style from Whiplash, I mean, it's much more like Whiplash than it is La La Land, but the similarities between La La Land and this, that's what I can't get over, how they are both the same, but they couldn't be more different at the same time, so it's, it's baffling. It's a baffling Babylon experience. So with that, I think I'm going to leave this spoiler review there. It's been a long one, but it's been worth it because this film is three hours. I probably could, and I need to talk about this film for three hours with somebody because it's unlike anything I've seen in a very, very long time. And like I said at the start, I don't think we're going to get anything like it again because, yeah, we can have love letters to Hollywood, but you can't have something as intoxicating and hateful but also incredibly beautiful and magical as this. I need to watch it again. Three hours, it's a tough sell. I've got a feeling that in five or ten years' time, 
people are going to start coming around to just how good this film is because the critical reviews are very mixed and the audience reception as well goes from one extreme to the other so very surprising to me because initially when this film first got announced and the hype was building for it I thought this was going to be a knockout smash sensation hands down but yeah it's dividing people but that's kind of what makes it so great so you're either going to love it or hate it and whichever one of those it is you will like fully love it or completely hate it so i really hope it's the love end of the spectrum because if you are able to love this film i feel like your life might actually be different from it because mine certainly is la la land for me hugely pivotal movie in my life because i wasn't a fan of musicals before that and i wasn't a fan of ryan gosling and i wasn't sure what to expect but i ended up loving it so much that it really kind of changed everything for me and you know that's one film that stuck with me and is going to stick with me for life but with this i think the same because knowing how things were back in the 20s you know 100 years ago it's just it, it's wild it's so wild and i don't know how much of it is genuine and how much of it is you know complete make believe because at the end of the day babylon is all about you know the make believe and the impossible so yeah i i don't know i, I really don't know but I just know that things are a lot safer on film sets now, but this is the thing as well. Knowing this is a film made nowadays, but about the 1920s, how have they done that? Because it was one thing for Tarantino to make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and make it feel so authentic for the 60s. That scene when everything is coming alive in Hollywood and all the signs are turning on, it looks like it's the 60s, 100%. You believe it. And in this case, you 100% believe that they're in the 20s. But how have they done this? Because yeah, there's a lot of being on film sets. And this is always a mystery to me, how they managed to be on film sets within a film which has its own film set, if you know what I mean. This film is like Inception, The Great Gatsby, Singing in the Rain, La La Land, The Wolf of Wall Street, everything on steroids. It's insane. It's a fever dream. And I loved it. I really, really loved it. I hope you enjoy too. Let me know. Yeah, please let me know what you think about this film because I'm hopeful that you enjoy it as much as I did and you find it as funny as I did. But we'll see how it does in the UK because it's bombed in America. So I'm unsure how it's going to do in the UK because obviously it is a very heavily American film anyway. So I don't think it's looking good, but we'll see. Anyway, with that, this has been Babylon, the spoiler review. I am going to go and have a drink because, god damn it, I needed one during this film. It's extreme. It's a very extreme film. So until next time, please enjoy Babylon. I've been Kieran, and I shall speak to you in the very next episode of You Can't Handle the Truth.